We're spending some time making our way through the Gospel of Luke, uh, specifically the second half of the Gospel. Uh, We're looking from chapter 9 on, which represents pretty much the last year of Jesus' earthly ministry, of His life here. We began there in chapter 9 when we when Luke recorded for us that at that time Jesus set His face to go to Jerusalem. And, and things change at that point. The teaching becomes more pointed. It becomes more serious. The call to follow has a new depth to it. It's at this point when Jesus begins saying things like, if anyone would come after Me, He must ta- deny Himself, take up His cross daily, and follow Me. And it's at this point when some people begin to ask the question, what what they seem to be asking is, is it worth it? Is it worth it for me to follow Jesus? Now, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I am from Illinois. And uh, I grew up in a town a lot like this one. Uh, And Illinois, you've probably noticed, is pretty flat, right? It's, it's, It's pretty flat here. But there have been times when I have gone other places that aren't so flat, and I've, I've actually climbed mountains. I've, I've done that a few times. I went to Washington State several years ago, uh, 11 years ago, and I climbed Silver Peak. That was a 16-hour trek up a mountain. I went to Massachusetts, and I climbed uh, Mount Greylock, the highest point in Massachusetts. I have even been to Mount Sunflower, the highest point in the state of Kansas. We drove all the way there, and it's just a, there's a little hill, and if you, look, if you look off to the west, there's Colorado, and then over here, it's just more of the same, it's more of Kansas, you know. There, there are times when you're climbing a mountain, like, like the time I, I climbed up Camelback in Arizona, and you wonder, why am I doing this? Because it hurts. You know, I make fun of Tara for her running, but... This is just stupid. Climbing a mountain? What are you going to do? And, and it hurts and, and it burns and your heart is pounding. And, and there were times when I would just say, I just need to get 10 more feet that way and then I'll be fine. And then I can rest for a little bit. But as you're going up, more often than not, you meet people who are coming back down. And you stop and you visit and you share a drink of water and you talk for a little bit. And a lot of times, those people coming back down, I would ask them, is it worth it? Is it worth the pain? Is it worth the struggle? Is it worth the way my legs feel and that my chest is, is just pounding and pounding? Is it worth it? And without a doubt, without fail, every time they say, oh, it's worth it. When you get to the top, when you see that view, it is so clear up there. When you crest that mountain and suddenly the wind hits you from the other side, it's amazing. And every time they told me, yes, it's worth it. And, and every time they were right. Well, We come to Luke chapter 13, and I wonder if that's not something of the spirit of the question that, that Jesus is being asked here in Luke 13, beginning in verse 22. If you're following along in the Bibles, it's page 873 in those Bibles. If you're following along on your devices, let me just ask, how many people are using devices today? Some kind of electronic. How many of you are are you following along? Thank you. You make me feel like, I, like it's worth it. If, if you don't know how to do that, talk to us sometime. Talk to me and I'll show you how to hook up because my sermon notes go on the uh, Uversion app and uh, you can follow along uh, with those. But Luke, uh, Luke sets it up for us here in Luke 13, verse 22. 
It says, He, that is Jesus, He went on His way through towns and villages teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. He doesn't want us to forget the ultimate goal is to set His face to Jerusalem and go to Jerusalem. And someone said to Him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Will only a few be saved? The question almost feels like, is it worth it? Is it worth it for me to follow? Is it worth it for me to try to to follow You? Does a person like me even stand a chance? Or am I wasting my time? And Jesus' response, just like His walk to the cross, His response is, is full of commitment. It is full of sacrifice. But it is also full of grace. We pick up there in verse 23. Someone said to him, Lord, will only, a say, will, will only those, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and, and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. And you, then you will begin to say, well, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from the east and west, from the north and south, and recline at the table in the kingdom of God, and behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Some of the phrases in that passage sound familiar to us. We've heard before about entering through the narrow door. We've, we've heard that phrase. We've heard the phrase, some who are first will be last, and some who are last will be first. To, to truly understand them, you have to understand the culture that those, that those phrases were spoken in, and the the culture that the question comes out of. They, they had a very specific view of who would be saved. If you were going to be saved, if you were going to enter God's kingdom, first of all, you had to be a Jew. Okay, You had to be not just a Jew, but you had to be a pious, law-keeping Jew. You had to be a very good Jew. Second, it didn't hurt. It didn't hurt if you were rich. Because you see, if you were rich, it meant that God had blessed you in this life. That's the way people got rich. Because God had blessed them. And therefore, if you were blessed in this life, you would certainly be blessed in the next life. And besides that, why would God want a bunch of poor people and slaves in His kingdom forever? What, you know, what's the point of that? We want good people in our kingdom. And I hate to mention this, but you also had to be a man. There was a lot of belief in those times that women wouldn't be in the kingdom. That women wouldn't be saved. There was that belief that was that was uh that was held by a lot of people do you understand his question a little better will only a few be saved will the saved be few do i have a chance now you compare that to our culture today if you ask the average person on the street who goes to heaven if they believe in heaven you ask the average person on the street who goes to heaven do you know what they'll tell you good people go to heaven good people Go to heaven. Heaven's full of good people. If you're good enough and 
and I hope I'm good enough, then, then you go to heaven. Well, is, is our culture's view any more correct than their culture's very restrictive view of heaven? And what is Jesus' view? What do we see in His response to this man's question? Because you see, neither answer is the answer that Jesus gave. Heaven is not something you earn, and heaven is not something you are owed. Rather, it, salvation is a relationship that you enter into. A relationship you enter into with God. A relationship that you enter into with, with other people who are also on their way there. And so you might be tempted to ask the question, is it worth it? Is it really worth it? And the answer is, it was worth it to Him. It was worth it to God. It was worth it to Jesus to go to the cross. It was worth it for Him to pay the penalty for your sin. And that's where Jesus' answer to this man takes Him. Not about the few, but about you. God wants you to love salvation as much as He loves saving you. You get that? God wants you to love your salvation as much as He loves saving you. So the question isn't, will the saved be few? The question is, will the saved be you? Will you strive to obey God's call to salvation? And this, this right here is a balancing act that we have to walk very carefully. Because you have heard me say over and over again, we are saved by grace. And I believe that 100%. 100% you are saved by the grace of God. But grace does not mean that nothing is expected of me. In John chapter 1, verse 12, John says, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the rights to become children of God. It's not just about believe, right? It's those who received Him who believed in His name. It's not just about believe. It's not just me saying, well, I believe in Jesus, therefore I'm going to heaven. Did I receive Him? You know, there's times when a package arrives at the post office. And I can't just sit at home and wait for them to bring it to me, right? i got to go to the post office and I have to pick up the package. Sometimes I even have to sign for it. I have to prove that I'm me and, and sign for the package. You have to want it. You have to receive it. And Jesus echoes that here. Will the saved be few? He says in verse 29, or 24, strive to enter through the narrow door. Strive. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Strive. Greek, the Greek word, every now and then I like to teach you a little Greek. The Greek word is agonizo here. Agonizo. It's where we get the word. It's where we get the word agonize. A good example right there. Uh, we get the word agonize from that. And, and in the Greek, to the Greeks, that was the word for wrestle. That they were going to wrestle someone. They would agonizo. They would agonize in their, in their wrestling. Now, why would you have to wrestle if it was a free gift of grace? Why would you have to wrestle if, if salvation is just a, a free gift? You wrestle, you strive, you agonize because the truth of Jesus and the love of Jesus confronts me and it confronts my nature. It confronts my sin. It confronts my disobedience. It, it confronts my desire to do what I want. And I realize if I love my salvation, as much as God loves saving me, I am going to conform to His standards. I am going to agonize and live up to His standards. That's hard. Some of you, some of you are experiencing that. Some of you have realized that 
that there are attitudes, there are actions, there are maybe even beliefs that you have held and that you have held dearly and that were a, a big part of you that you suddenly realize these don't conform. And, and suddenly that doorway seems a little more narrow as you strive to become more and more like Christ. You agonize over those things. I love how Paul expresses it. Paul felt this struggle. Paul says in Philippians 3, beginning in verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained this. I, I'm not there yet. He says, or that I'm already perfect. I, he, Paul admits, I'm not perfect. He says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own because He loves saving me, therefore I need to love my salvation. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. You hear the, you hear the striving in that? Straining forward? The agonizing in that? The wrestling in that? I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he says, let those who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, well, God will reveal that also to you. And then he caps it all off with this. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Can you relate? Paul says, not that, not that I've already obtained it. Not that I'm perfect. Not that, I've, not, that I've, not that I've gained it yet, but I'm not giving up either. And then there's that painful reality. He says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. In other words, there's no going back. At this point, I can't plead ignorance and say, well, I, I never heard that, God. I, I never heard that I was supposed to strive to enter through the narrow door. I, I can't plead ignorance over that. There's going to be times when, the, when that door feels like it's getting more and more narrow. And the reality is it's your focus. Your focus is growing more and more on Christ and on who He is and on who He calls you to be. Jesus says, many will seek to enter and will not be able. Why? What are they missing? What are they not doing? You see, it's not just about striving to obey the call to salvation. It's about desiring to be known by Jesus as Jesus desires to know you. I feel, like, I feel like one of the big mistakes that the church has made over the years is we have given people a list of things that they need to do to be saved. We've given them a list of obligations. We told people there are five things you've got to do if you want to be saved. You've got to believe. You've got to confess. You've got to repent. You've got to be baptized. And then you have to obey. And if you do those five things, if you meet those five obligations, you get to go to heaven. Just five things. Believe, confess, repent, be baptized, and obey. You're good. Five obligations. Does that work in any other relationship in your life? You know, if Trish came to me and said, I want to be your wife, what are my obligations? And I said, well, there's five things you've got to do if you want to be married to me, honey. You have to feed me. You have to love me. You have to clean the house. You have to do my laundry. And you have to rub my feet. And if you do those five things, then you can stay married to me. How is that going to go over? <laughs> Let's just ask her. How is that going to go over? Not so good. Especially the foot rub part. Don't think it's going to work for me. You know, that, that's just not how a relationship works. Uh, God's not about obligations. 
You know, if you're here today because you have an obligation to be in church on Sunday and that's what we do and that's, that's how we get saved, then by all means, you know, go home because God's not interested in your obligations. God is interested in your heart. God wants a relationship with you. So why is it that those who will seek to enter not be able? Jesus goes on in verse 25 and He says, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you began to stand outside and knock on the door and say, Lord... Open to us. And then He will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, well, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But He will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from Me, all you workers of evil. You notice it's not, you never knew Me. He says, I never knew you. You never opened your heart up to me. You never let me know you. You never gave me your heart. You never gave me your hurts. You never gave me your love. You never gave me your joy. You, you never moved beyond obligation to relationship. And that's a problem. God doesn't need your obligations. God wants you. Jesus isn't looking for people who will have a, a casual contact with him, who have a passing knowledge of who he is and what's he, what he's about. To know him means to trust him, to trust him to deliver you from your sins, to, to trust him and, and to realize that you're not going to make it by your own striving. To know him means to open up to him in your day, day to day interactions. It's not just, well, we do church on Sunday and then we do family and we do work the rest of the week. No, it, it's about day to day living with him and, and knowing him. That's what He desires. That's what He wants you to desire. There's that passage in Revelation 3 that we read and we, we use it a lot. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears My voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with Me. We use that Scripture a lot when we're talking to people who haven't made a commitment to Christ yet. When we're witnessing to someone or when we're preaching and pleading people to give their lives to Christ, we'll tell them, you know, Jesus stands at the door of your heart and He knocks and He wants in. There's only one problem with that. That verse in Revelation 3.20 is written to Christians. It's written to people who have already given their lives to Christ, although they are not perfect and they have not lived a good life and not done that well. They've given their lives to Christ. They've committed to Him. They're very flawed. And the call is to know Him. Not just simply to live those obligations, but to desire Him as He desires you. And the amazing thing that will happen is as you know Him more, you will know His grace more. And as you know His grace, you will open your heart to His grace for yourself and for others. Do you remember the original question? Will the saved be few? Will the saved be few? It's just going to be a few people. Because that's, that's what they had always taught this guy. Will the saved be few? Will the kingdom of heaven belong just to those who deserve it? Just to those who have earned it? And you remember who it was that deserved heaven? Who had earned it? There were the good law-abiding Jews. You know, The Pharisees would have thought that they, because of their keeping of the law, that they were right there up there and that God was going to save them. You know, there was the rich because obviously if you're rich, then God has blessed you in this life and you'll be blessed in the next life. And God doesn't want a bunch of poor people dirtying up His heaven forever. You know, He doesn't want that. 
And as I mentioned, there were some who doubted that, that women could be saved, that heaven was just for men. In fact, there was a, there was a prayer that Jews would begin their day with back then. In fact, there are Jews that still begin their prayers with their, their morning with this prayer. It's called the prayer of three blessings. And they begin the morning with these words. Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile, or a slave, or a woman. They continue to pray that prayer to this day. Now, you and I, right there, are disqualified. Because I'm not a Jew. I'm I'm a Gentile. And I'm fairly certain most of the people here are Gentiles. I mean, I I can't tell for sure, but I'm I'm guessing we're, we're all pretty much Gentiles. We would all be disqualified. So understand this man's question. Will the saved be few? And understand Jesus' response in verse 30 where He says, And behold, some who are last, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Who thought they would be first? Well, the pious. The, the pious, the, the rich, the, the Pharisees. What did Jesus say? Those who are first will be last. Those who are last will be first. Over in Matthew chapter 21, verse 31, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, the tax collectors, who were not pious, by the way, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. That doesn't come because we've earned it. It doesn't come because we deserve it. It comes because of His grace. The Apostle Paul was a pious Jewish Pharisee. And and Paul would have started every morning with that prayer of three blessings. I thank you, God, that you've not made me a Gentile, that you've not made me a slave, and that you've not made me a woman. He would have started every day of his life with that prayer of three blessings. But there came to a point in Paul's life when he realized whatever he thought was to his gain was actually to his loss. And in Galatians chapter 3, Verse 27, Paul says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In other words, in baptism, you have covered yourself in Christ. You have clothed yourself in Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And then he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. It's not about who has a better chance of entering heaven than you. It's about Jesus. It's about putting on Christ. It's about wrapping yourself in Him. It is about grace. And so the question is, is it worth it? Is it worth denying yourself? Is it worth taking up your cross daily? Is it worth following him is it worth that call to follow even in the even in the narrow paths is it worth opening your heart up to him is it worth laying down everything that you thought would make you good enough for heaven and simply embracing his grace lee strobel has a new book out called uh, the case for grace and uh, in that book he tells nine stories of people whose lives were touched and transformed by the grace of God. And he tells a 
a story about a little girl whose name was Garbage. Now, that wasn't her given name. In fact, she doesn't know what her given name was, but that's what she was known as. She was known as Garbage. She was a product of an interracial, mar- or interracial relationship between a, an American GI and a Korean woman during the Korean War. And as an interracial child, she was unwanted. And so at about the age of four, her mother abandoned her at a train platform and said, an uncle will come and get you. And that uncle never came. She was simply abandoned. And so this little girl who can't remember her name, she grew up like garbage. She grew up on the streets. She grew up stealing food. She grew up sleeping in the foxholes that the soldiers had dug during the war. She grew up being abused and being treated like garbage. Somehow, though, she found herself in an orphanage at about the age of nine. So from four to nine, she was living on the streets. But at nine years old in an orphanage, you're too old to be adopted. Because a nine-year-old comes with a lot of baggage. A nine-year-old comes with a lot of bad habits. And no one wants a nine-year-old. They want a new baby. And so she simply worked in the orphanage and took care of, of the babies. She was scrawny from malnutrition. Her hair was white from lice. She had parasites in her stomach that you don't want to know what they did, but there were parasites in her stomach. She had a lazy eye because of malnutrition. It just kind of hung in the eye socket. She was unlovely and she was unlovable. But an American couple saw her. They came to adopt a baby boy. And then they saw her. And they fell in love with her. And the, 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 the man put his hand on her cheek. and She felt the warmth of his hand and felt the, the tenderness of his love. And she had never felt anything like that before. And so, since she didn't know what that was, the only reaction that she could come up with was to spit in his face and run. <laughs> she spit in his face and, and ran and hid from him. But they came back the next day and they said, we want to adopt that, that girl. She didn't understand what adoption was and for the longest time, she thought that they had bought her. She thought that she was going to be a servant because that made sense to her and she had seen that happen. Sometimes older children were sold to, to wealthy families to work as servants and so she assumed that's what had happened, that she had been bought to be their servant and that maybe if she worked hard and if she obeyed them, one day she could earn her freedom and she could, she could be free of her bondage to them. She didn't understand that she was their little girl. And so she told her friend one day, she said, these Americans are strange. She said, they don't give me any work to do. They, they don't give me any work to do and they don't beat me. And her friend said, Stephanie, that's the name that they gave her. Her friend said, Stephanie, you're not their servant. You're their daughter. You're their, you're their little girl. You're their child. She said, I'm, I'm their daughter? She said, yes, you're their daughter. And Stephanie couldn't believe it. And she got up and she ran home all the way yelling, I'm your daughter, I'm your daughter. She ran into the house. She went up to her mother and said, I'm your daughter. And unfortunately, her mother did not speak Korean. So, 
there was a lady there who could translate for her, and she said, she's saying, I'm your daughter. I'm your daughter. And her mother said, of course. Of course you're our daughter. That's what the last shall be first. And the first shall be last means. It means you bring nothing to God that He needs and everything that He wants. It means no matter how unlovable you find yourself, your heavenly Father loves you. And He desires to know you. And He desires for you to know His love. And that may be difficult for you to understand because there are a lot of us who carry some very unlovely things in our lives. There are a lot of us who at times feel like garbage. It may be a struggle to lay those things aside. Strive to enter through the narrow door. But that is His love. And that is His grace for you. The Apostle Paul thought he had it made. He thought he was on the top of the list. You know That he would be one of the first. And he was obedient. He was fairly wealthy. He was doing everything that he, that he needed to do. But there came a point in Paul's life where he said, all of those things that I thought were to my benefit, they were actually garbage <laughs> compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus, my Lord and Savior. And he said, I want to know Him. I want to share in His suffering so that somehow through my striving, I can attain what He has already given me. That I can press on to that. There may be things in your life that you thought were to your benefit. That you thought were going to earn you something. There may be things in your life that you thought were going to keep you out of heaven. We're going to keep you from God. Either way, they're all garbage compared to Him and what He has to offer. Let's stand together and come to Him.